The Boating Life Podcast with Savvy Navi, making marine navigation at sea easy. Welcome to another Boating Life Podcast produced by the boating app Savvy Navi, the navigation app that puts essential marine information all in one convenient place. Welcome on board again with me, Kerry Herford-Jones, as we meet more interesting guests who are all connected to the sea in some way, shape or form. This podcast is designed to help reduce some of the barriers to boating and hopefully help you overcome them. Among our many and varied guests, we'll be meeting a marina operator and a marine environmentalist. We'll hear from one of the team at Sunsail. Plus, we'll be talking to the founder of Navali, along with the CEO of a leading sailing school and a specialist marine insurance broker, to name but a few. First though, we need to catch up again with Adam and Lauren and their little Jack Russell Freddy to find out how they're getting on with their adventures to sail around the coast of the UK before then meeting up with one of ABP's very own pilots, Captain Mark Oakley. Hi guys, welcome to today's podcast. Uh, got to ask the first question, where are you this week? We're currently in Northumberland, we're still here. <laughs> you haven't disgraced yourselves, the locals are still allowing you to stay, are they? Yes, I think we've had a few comments from people that we're growing roots here, so it's too nice to leave, so we're still here. <laughs> There's that old saying about let the anchor dig in a bit deeper and uh, really get to know the area that you're in. We spend a lot of time going on passage from port to port and we're on to somewhere else. There's something truly great about actually staying put a little bit longer, isn't there? There is, I think, yeah. You really get to have an explore of the local area and find all the little hot spots that you can see. And right where we are now, we've got two massive sandy beaches on either side. A nice big field for Freddie to run around. So it's going to be hard leaving this one. It is, yeah, it is. The time will come. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've got a beach nearby, that means there's water as well. Is that Freddie's favourite place? Yeah, there's lots of places he really loves swimming. So any opportunity he's got to get in the water. Although luckily he doesn't jump off the pontoons. And we've been very careful in the past. He loves catching balls and sticks, but we never throw it off the pontoon because we don't want him to ever discover that that water is the same water that he could swim in. So he, he just swims at the shoreside and things rather than jumping off the pontoon. So uh, we're going to have to send off to the uh, the swimming association and get them to send him his 50 metre swimming badge. <laughs> I think he's probably already earned it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Obviously good exercise for him as well in the water as, as, as much as running around, I'd imagine. Apparently swimming's uh, really good for dogs because it doesn't put any stress on their joints or anything like that. So if you had an older dog, that's apparently a really good way to, to get them at some exercise. And there's a few places that you can do swimming lessons mm. with dogs. Mm. Hey, now listen, <laughs> we, we could talk for hours just about Freddie, but uh, today we want to talk about putting all that theory that you've learned into practice. And you've learned a lot, you've tried a lot out. So we're going to talk a little bit about that today. We're going to talk about doing the nav, doing the pilotage on your journey. But also, we have a special guest today. We've got a ship's pilot coming on the podcast. Yeah, we're very excited about this one. It's going to be really interesting to uh, listen to what they say about sailors in particular. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have a probably particular view, I would imagine. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that as well. I'm sure that Mark, our guest, will certainly enlighten us as to how he deals from on the bridge of some of these big container ships with, um, as you say, interesting, mm. interesting sailing <laughs> techniques going on under the bow. <laughs> yeah okay let's start the ball rolling then today give us a bit of background uh, how you set out what kit you use what tech you use software and hardware in terms of the tech and, and hardware as much as the chart so i think i'll just start off by saying that 
right at the very beginning when I did my day skipper, even a year before we left for this trip, I remember feeling really, really overwhelmed by the amount of information that I was felt that I was expected to learn and remember in order to go sailing. And I did think, oh my goodness, I'm never going to get there. How am I going to remember all of this stuff? But actually, now that we've left, I do feel that things are starting to fall into place and you find your own rhythm and things that work for you. You might have a different technique to other people, but as long as it works for you and it's safe, I think there are things out there that can help you. And one of the things that we do actually use for our pilot passage planning is Savvy Navi. I'll let Adam talk a little bit more about that because he's the master of passage planning. <laughs> okay, oh, well, I wouldn't no. say I'm a master. <laughs> no, no pressure there, Adam, but you're on. You're yeah. on. This is it. Yeah. <laughs> so the good thing about Savvy Navi is that it's got all the data that you want to know all in one place. So for us, when we're looking at leaving a port, you know, it has the wind and tide data. It's got the wind so you can download for four days. So you can then decide, oh, it's better to leave, for example, on a Tuesday at six o'clock in the morning and you can work it all out from there. But the thing that we really like is that it works out your course to steer mm. and that does save you quite a lot of time when you're doing your passage planning. But also, if you were to change your mind when you've left the port and things you might leave a little bit later or you have to tack out of the way of someone else or something like that, you can easily amend it and it would give you a new course to steer and uh, it really does save a lot of time on your journey so that's a really good feature. What I found really useful is downloading once we've worked all of this out we spend quite a lot of time doing the passage plan but once we've done it all we can download it so that when we're out there because often we don't get any internet signal and sometimes we've we found oh my goodness I didn't download the route so at least you can have it offline yeah. and you can use it throughout the whole trip and not have to rely on any data which is great. We did uh, one of our longer passages recently was from Lowestoft to Hull. And as we sort of cut across the wash, we were a bit further off land. So I, we lost signal, but luckily mm. because we'd downloaded... We still had it, yeah. We still had it, so that was really good. One other interesting thing that I know we take into account when we're, we're planning a passage is often about looking at the wave height. Is that important mm. to you as well? Definitely something that I look at. I look at wind direction, wind strength, gusts and swell. They're the ones that I pay particular attention to because I get quite seasick. Swell is definitely something that for me can change the whole mm. sort of outlook of the trip if there's quite high swell. Recently there wasn't any wind but there was some swell left from a recent storm and we were going to go until we spoke to the marina and uh, had a conversation we decided not to go because of the swell height in the end so yeah. Uh, is, is this where the actual marina operator wasn't going to go out himself in that particular weather? Yeah. I think we were leaving from Scarborough to Hartlepool and they kindly gave us advice that, yeah, they cancelled the local race, so perhaps we should uh, reconsider, <laughs> which was much appreciated, to be honest. Local knowledge is everything, isn't it? It is, indeed. Definitely. Amongst all of this stuff that we're going to talk about today, there is that element of just ask somebody, just get yeah. to know a few people around you and ask some questions. Definitely. Yeah. Since we've left, we've noticed that people are going in a similar direction to us. So there are several people that we keep bumping into in different marinas and we've had so much information and tips shared from them. Mm. Um, it's great just to get talking to people that are doing the same sort of thing. Yeah. I've even asked um, a few people to help us leave the berth because if, if someone asked you, you'd be more than happy to, yeah. to ask to help them so yeah why not ask yourself don't be too embarrassed could you give us a push off or do you mind holding a fender mm. over your boat so if it goes wrong you know and it 
everyone's happy to do that everyone's and, always happy yeah, to help yeah. yeah so just just ask people yeah there's, a, there's an old saying isn't it pride before a fall and uh, i think that oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> exemplifies it quite beautifully that actually mm. don't be afraid yeah. to ask for help on whatever level and as i said earlier local knowledge is everything and the, the local sailing club the marina office the harbour master mm. They enjoy being asked, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yes. definitely. And they quite often say a few of their local hotspots as well. So maybe some good anchorages or good places to visit. So, you know, that's really good, useful information. And we've gone into places that we wouldn't have gone into before yeah. without that advice. I think we've all got a lesson to learn out of just that little conversation there, guys. And that is uh, be more open, listen and uh, be prepared to ask and offer help as well. Yeah, of course. Yeah, we're always available, sat, sat outside, ready to catch lines. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's kind of like a karma. If you help catch yeah. other people's lines, then they'll do it for you. <laughs> yeah, that is very, very true. Let's try and cast our minds back now a couple of months when you were setting off from Southampton as to the pilotage and the, the bits of kit you were using then to what you're using and how you're using it now. Just talk me through one or two of the obvious changes and things that you're not using now that you were using then or vice versa. We've just basically streamlined everything. At the beginning, it all felt really overwhelming and lots of different things to be looking at and considering. But I think we've definitely streamlined it now and we don't spend as much time passage planning as we used to, but we still get the same amount of information. So yeah, having it all in one place has definitely helped us a lot. It saved us a lot of time, definitely. Yeah, so just talk us through then, what is it you do? Where do you start before you actually leave the harbour? So when I look at the initial passage plan, firstly, I'll check to see what the weather's doing and then if we're actually going to decide to leave or not. Look at the weather, we find a rough day or a couple of days that look that are looking good. I'll then look at the paper charts, which we have an electronic version, but it's an exact copy of paper charts. So after I've done the waypoints on the charts, I then put the same track and routes into Savvy Navi, and then that works out time in which to leave, time of arrival, and of course, of course, the steer, but it also lets you know what wind angle you're gonna be on and the strength of the wind as well. So you know if you're gonna be on a broad reach, mm beam reach whether you're going to be beating and then it works out that and it computes the time in which to get there so you might think oh actually we'll leave a, an hour earlier which is normally the case or an hour <laughs> later it's normally the tide that's getting you up early unfortunately but yeah so that's how we do it and then we follow it along we have have savvy navi there on we use that on our tablet and as i say we we have the uh, mm chart plotters on board that we just follow the course along for autopilot and things like that i think it helps like bring it all into you create like a picture in your mind instead of it all being on paper as separate things for me i like to visualize it and and i can really imagine the journey once we've done all of these things it really comes to life mm. and i can really get a feel for how the journey is going to be and the conditions are we going to be beating is it downwind what's the swell like what's the tide going to be doing when we're there because on this east coast we've had to be really mindful of the tides there's really really strong tidal drops so you do have to be very aware of these things so i like to know all of this before we go and that makes me feel much much more relaxed it does it's, it helps with the stress and the anxiety of it all yeah you know it's a nervous thing so any any extra piece of information just just helps build that picture and we've just got it on hand easily we do actually write it on paper as well in case anything was to happen to anything electrical if we were to get caught Good. by a storm or anything mm. like that we always have it on a bit of paper which is close to hand on the by the helm station anyway 
And I think there's something about getting more enjoyment out of your sailing, out of your boating as well, by actually really taking a little bit of time over this, thinking it through, and also, of course, making sure you've got ports of reference. Yeah, definitely. We always try to have at least yeah. one, but sometimes often two ports of refuge. And that actually helps with a bit of peace of mind because you, you then know mm. oh, if, for example, something happened or the engine cut out and there was no wind, then you know, OK, that's that's where we would try and get to or that's yeah. where we could call for help, for example. There's also the NCI as well. So they're available to call up at some time to just get ahead of what's happening out there on the coast, isn't there? Yeah, there is. I think they're a really good resource to use, probably instead of the Coast Guard as well, because you could do radio checks, they can check your passage plan. And yeah, they're a volunteer service Mm, and they've got a lot of information to share with people, should definitely be utilised. Again, the local knowledge, they've probably been out there for 20 odd years. Yeah. And they'll probably be able to tell you, oh, I wouldn't, I'd go round that headland if I was you or, you know, whatever it may be. Good. Okay, so look, uh, we're on passage. You're off and running. Uh, clearly, it, you settled into the routine now. It's it's working, guys. How good is that? That's the important thing. I know. I can't believe it. We're almost at the Scottish border, which is further than I could have even imagined. I didn't even know if we were going to get to Brighton. So <laughs> we're here. We must be doing something, right? Yeah, it must be working. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. We get asked a question quite a bit, and I'm sure you do as well, about sharing the load on long passages, lessons you've learned along the way. Any insights for us on that front? I do still feel quite nervous about long passages, and I do feel uh, uneasy in some weather conditions, suffer from seasickness, which I'm battling at the moment. But confidence is definitely growing. I think in terms of sharing the load, Adam can luckily take care of most of the sailing if he had to. I do try and help and I do help most of the time. Mm-hmm. But on the odd occasion where I can't, I know that you know he's going to be fine out there. But I think it's just playing to your strengths. So things that I try and help with is managing the VHFs. You talked, Lauren, there about getting on the radio. Obviously, to marinas, that's all well and good. But you've been using the radio for other forms of communication with other vessels. Yes, I have. So on our first night passage from Lowestoft to Grimsby, Adam went down for a sleep at about half nine and it was starting to get dark. And I noticed there was uh, two actually very large containers either side of us. And I thought, oh, we'll probably be fine. But because it was just me, I just wanted to be sure. So I actually contacted them on Channel 16. I located them on the AIS to get their name so that I could call out to them. And yeah, I just contacted them to say, had they seen me, I'll be passing on their port hand side, (coughs) excuse me, or starboard side. And I think I phoned about three in total and all of them were so friendly. I'm so glad that I contacted all of them because one of them actually hadn't seen us and he said he would now amend his course. Wow. So for me, just knowing that they had all seen us and that they looked close but they were aware of us made me feel so much more relaxed and before this trip I would have felt so nervous about contacting anyone on the VHF but honestly if you feel like you want to or you need to just go for it because you'll feel a lot better for it and I'm sure they appreciate it as well. I think that's a really valid point and the fact the matter is is that we've got all this technical wizardry we've got all this stuff around us we can see what's on the screen and there is that kind of, it's a bit like an email. You know, you sent it, therefore they received it. You've got AIS running, therefore they've seen you. What you're saying there is actually, they've got pretty busy screens. They've got a lot going on in there on the bridge. Yeah. Sometimes just an old-fashioned VHF call can really make a difference, can't it? And, and make you feel Definitely. better as well. I think one of them was like 100 metres long. Yeah. And it was going about yeah. 18 knots. So I thought, oh my gosh, I need to make sure we're well out of their way. 
so yeah just contact them to be honest they were all quite happy for a chat really which was nice yeah <laughs> broke up the boredom. middle of the night they wanted a little <laughs> chat yeah so yeah just just go for it and you'll feel a lot better for it i'm sure and you don't have to be completely by the textbook you do have to be professional on the radio but don't let that stop you from calling them it's worked wonders for us on mm. this trip especially at night but even in the day in fog you can see where they are you can click on them bring up all their data as lauren said their speed their heading their mmsi and the name and that's not something i would have felt confident to do at the beginning of this trip so that's great and then i just do crew sort of jobs like preparing the lines and fenders when i jump off on the pontoon attaching the lines and springs doing the meal preps and snacks and making sure we've got lots of tea on hand and a hot flask but really i think it's just about you know sharing the load really those are things that i can help adam whilst he's on the helm and managing the sails if i have to come downstairs then i know you'll be fine up there although i don't like to do that sometimes i do have to yeah it is yeah just you find your own sort of routine and as lauren said at the moment she does more of maybe the crew sort of jobs but as her experience grows she can start bringing the boat in start doing maybe more of the sail changes but that will just come in time and mm. it comes with confidence. So, you know, start slow, you're, you're building up and you've already shown a massive improvement since we've left. So, oh, thank you. yeah, it's it's just, just, it's just finding the balance with what each other likes doing and helping the other one out, really. Guys, you really are inspirational couple. I, I mean that most sincerely. I really oh. genuinely mean that. I, I think you come across in absolute layers that you really are learning the lessons, but doing yeah. it safely. So... The experiences over those first few legs of your passage. Let's give our listeners at least the first couple of legs. So let's start with leaving Southampton. First destination was the Bewley. Where did you go after that? Mm. So yeah, we went to Bewley. Just want to say that that was only two hours away from our home port. And that was our first trip. That's just something that we felt that we needed to do. It was only two, three hours Mm -hmm. and we were there and we could relax. And we kind of felt that we had officially left our home berth. But we didn't stay there for that long. Then we went from Bewley to Chichester, Chichester. which was fairly uneventful, I think, that first one. And then we went from Chichester to Brighton, which was actually very, very windy. And looking back now, I mean, because that was only the third leg, I thought, oh, gosh, this is what we're in for. This is the trip. But actually, that was really windy and probably the windiest we've had so far it was i think yeah in fact the first few legs were were quite windy from brighton then on to eastbourne again was quite windy and we had 25 knots it was behind us which was a little bit better but the swell was really big i think it was like two meters yeah the swell had had built up i think over a few days it pushed us a little bit out of our comfort zone there yeah and the things we learned from those experiences was trusting the boat which is a big thing for us over, over this this whole trip yeah and just learning about how the boat handles certain things for us mm. so we've learned that downwind in those conditions we can balance the boat quite well the boat was fine wasn't yeah, it? yeah but we actually just had the mainsail up one for us was as we was just started we didn't want to overcomplicate things so we just had the main up we had one reef in there we prevented it out to stop any accidental jibes and that made us feel really comfortable. And then we just got used to the boat and it yeah, it was very well balanced in that. Well, we're looking forward to hearing more about your onward passage up the East Coast in the next few editions of our podcast. Lovely to catch up with you and uh, look forward to speaking to all three of you again very soon. We'll speak to you soon. Yeah, thanks for having us again. Getting stressed out planning your next sailing trip. 
Savvy Navi acts like your silent first mate, cross-checking your calculations and providing all the information you need to get out on the water safely. Get integrated charts, weather forecasts, tidal heights, tidal streams, distance calculations and more in one place. Whether you're looking to plan an entire trip or just want to check the charts, tide and weather, it's as easy as one, two, three. Sail safe, sail easy. Sail with Savvy Navi. Download the app now on the Apple app and Google Play stores to start your free trial. Our next guest is Captain Mark Oakley, who went off to sea aged just 16 as a cadet with BP Tankers. And after many years before the mast, he came to work in Southampton docks as a ship's pilot. So my first question to Mark had to be the obvious one. What does a pilot actually do? He provides local expert knowledge to a specific region anywhere in the world. You can't have multi-region pilots. It goes against the, the ethos or the requirements of the expertise, should I say. So... The next question has to be, why do large ships need pilots, particularly with all the tech we now have available to us? The tech, yes, has come on leaps and bounds, particularly in the last sort of 10 years, but it hasn't changed the world. The ports are still the same size, the ships are bigger, the tides are still doing the same thing, the wind still does what it does, and ships still behave as they do very very differently every single time you you bring one in you can bring the same ship in 10 times and it will do 10 different things each each visit a pilot does that day in day out and learns to recognize broadly what a ship is going to do he also knows where he is what the tide's going to do and technology can't make any any allowances for that i'm afraid technology that has come on say in recent years can tell you where you are but there's very little and limited technology to tell you where you're going to be. And that is where the pilot and his expertise comes in, is, is predicting what's going to happen and trying to control that and what's going to happen or stop what you don't want to happen. Does that make sense? It does. And let's face it, there's some pretty challenging conditions, even in somewhere like the Solent at any time of the, the year, particularly obviously in the winter, which means, therefore, you have to get on board these ships because this, it's a busy old port, isn't it? How do you do that? Yeah, well, we go out there in some very, very marginal conditions. We've had a few guys join the, the, the pilot boat crews in recent uh, years who claim to be roughly tufty sea dogs and they're just stunned at what we do go out in. The basic line, if we can get out to the ship, we can get on it. And if you're trying to get off it, the pilot boat will come out and, and use the ship as a lee, sit inside and lee and then we hop off and then we bash our way back in again and getting on and off the ship is basically putting a small boat alongside a big ship and we climb up a rope ladder. And how far out do you go to meet some of these ships coming in Mark? The big big container ships and the big deep tankers uh, we go out well it's four miles south of the NAB tower if anybody knows the locality the local geography of that it's quite a way to the south of the NAB on a good old winter's night you can see the light of St Catherine's beaming away. So the, the view from the bridge, let's talk about that, Mark, because there's a sailor on a little boat going around. Let's just use the Solent because that's the area you and I know so well. Mm-hmm. What, what is it you can see from up on the bridge of one of these big container ships? On a big container ship, you can't see anything within half a mile of you, ahead of you. So if you're going to try and pass within half a mile of a container ship, we will not see you once you're sort of in the, uh, about a point either side of right ahead. Wow. Wow, that's 
that's incredible really when you think about what <laughs> what sometimes happens then and some of the sites you must see from up there where people clearly haven't quite got the grasp of how limited your visibility is. They haven't, and they haven't got the grasp of how fast the ship is actually travelling. That is the one thing that does seem to catch a lot of people out, is they think, oh, there's this big old thing, that's, going, that's nowhere near. My God, it's on top of me, let me get out of the way. And you watch, and you can actually see the panic on, on the deck of these, particularly the, the sailing boats, because they all seem to think steam gives way to sail because of the, the limited knowledge of the rules of the road. And they just mindlessly press on and uh, get themselves into into all sorts of problems and they, then they start tacking jibing and all sorts of things to try and get out the way and yeah it's quite um, alarming what you see i think it also would help to put into perspective mark if you can just tell us how limited is limited ability to maneuver what does that mean to the, the vessels that you're actually piloting put it this way the big container ships when we're doing the turn off cows the the uh, the much vaunted west bramble turn it is in some situations it we are at the limit of getting it round that corner so once it's doing that turn we cannot ease off the turn to try and let a yacht go by or we cannot increase our rate of turn to let a yacht go by we are committed and that is it Going down Southampton Water, we cannot move. We are in, in the Boyd Channel. These big container ships are, are 60 metres wide. The channel was 180 metres wide. You work out how much space we've got to move. Wow, that puts it into perspective. I shall look at these ships coming up and down the Southampton Water with a whole whole newfound respect even more than what I had originally. And, and terror in the thought that I'm driving it. <laughs> That's always been with me, Mark. Whenever I see her out on the water, what are the worries on a bridge of a big container ship? What sort of worries go through your mind, through the mind of the, the captain? Wind. They get blown around very, very easily, which is staggering when you consider the stilt on some of them is 15 metres under the water. Uh, and they weigh 200 odd thousand tonnes when they're, when they're coming into Southampton at that draft. The wind still can push them sideways quite, quite drastically. So when you're going up through the docks relatively slowly, in a very, very narrow, confined space, and you've got the wind on the beam, which it predominantly is throughout the winter from the southwest, you're getting pushed over towards the ships up on, in the docks all the time, and you're constantly fighting that. Yes, wind is, is the thing. That is, that is the biggest concern. Yeah, I get, I get that. But as we said earlier, you know, these ships are coming in and out of places like Southampton all the time. What's the sort of volume of traffic are we talking about, Mark? We did like 9,000 acts of pilotage last year on the Solent, that's 9, in and out. 9,000 in a 12-month Yeah, so period. that's four and a half, broadly speaking, four and a half thousand ship visits, ships of above 61 metres in length visits to the Solent. So that's including Southampton, Forley, the Hamble Jetty, and up the Itchen. Goodness me, that's that's a huge amount of traffic. How many pilots hmm. are there on, on the crew, if I could put it like that? I don't know what you call it. I don't know what you call it. What do you call a cohort of pilots? Well, there's, there's several words for it, but they're probably not for this this public uh, podcast. <laughs> yes, the collective the collective noun for pilots is, is, is unpublishable, I'm afraid. Um, there's 38 of us in total, and any one day we have eight or nine of us, depending on how it's worked out within the, the, our working roster, and we're on call for 24 hours 
we don't work for the 24 hours mm. we do well we we can we do two ships and then take a break and then come back in again and do one or maybe if it's really busy you do two again but you're not you're not on on the rack for 24 hours and from that perspective the pilots you have there as you said for yourself clearly time served done all sorts of things over different places in different ways a, a lot of the pilots do they own operate or, or get on board small boats as well or are they are you a bit of a rarity from that point of view do you think i, I think i'm a bit of a, a maverick rarity <laughs> <laughs> so, some might say we're mad but it's just a bit of it, it, it's good fun it, it keep, keeps you keeps you interested yeah absolutely so getting towards the end of today's podcast how do you think small boat skippers can actually help pilots help skippers of captains of big boats what could they do to help you if you like to put it bluntly keep out the way if you see something coming at you turn away don't think oh am i aren't i am i aren't i because we don't know whether you've seen us or not and we're watching thinking yeah he's going to get across but what happens if he loses his wind which happens and they end up caught in irons right in front of you and they go bouncing down the down the side also if you have spotted us turn early and make it obvious that we have seen you that's it that, that that was if i ever get involved in actually teaching people how to on sailing which i keep kicking around in my head that is what i'm going to say you say see that big guy up there he doesn't know whether you've seen seen him or not turn now but we're not going to hit him i don't care he knows now that you've seen seen him and he's not worried about you you've got to get that that is the thing is you've got to get across that you spotted the danger and you're doing something about it yeah turn away turn away whatever it takes even if it's a reciprocal mm. course where you were coming from or even as we've done before now in the Senate, you just you know literally heave two go 360 yeah. whatever the case may be yeah. it's gonna take he, heave two and turn and then it's blatantly obvious what uh, the, we've seen the thing yeah right okay and everybody's happy then yeah yeah your blood pressure doesn't uh, doesn't escalate quite so far yeah, exactly that that is the point, <laughs> and, and it it say it, it it costs the yacht a couple of a couple of seconds. They might not get to the bar quite so quickly in cows. Yeah, that's the point, isn't it? That's the bottom line. And one thing I think we we haven't touched on. I would like to just touch on briefly. We, we were mentioning tech earlier and and all the different elements of kit that we have on board these days. Mm-hmm. How does how does AIS look from your point of view up up there on the bridge with the, with the small boats moving around? <laughs> Sometimes you look at it and think, my God, <laughs> the ra- the Ectus has got measles. <laughs> but they can filter out pleasure craft right. on, on their Ectus. You can filter out the pleasure craft so you, you don't have that, that, that mass of, of, of pleasure craft blobs on, on the screen so you can, you can see the wood for the trees. However, that on a, say on a foggy day, which touch wood in Southampton, they don't come too often, but when they do... It's nice to have it all overlaid on onto the screen, so you know what's out there. Yeah, yeah. And listen, I think it's one of those cases where often uh, small boat skippers would actually benefit from actually having an opportunity to actually, I think, even virtual reality, see how it looks on on the bridge of a big ship. Would you agree with that? I would. I have long campaigned with the various harbour masters that have been here that we should be going round to sailing clubs schools whatever with a video of a passage through the solent saying look this is what you what we can and then what we can't see what you we can't do this we can't do that but it's it's fallen on deaf ears i'm quite tempted to just do it myself 
Well, you know, there, there is an element of that. I mean, that's why I'm so delighted that we were able to get you on today's podcast, Mark, because this is actually about breaking down barriers, breaking down fears of going to sea. And really, I think it is a, a collective responsibility on anybody using using the water, isn't it, really? I think so. It is, in a very good nutshell there, it's a collective responsibility for us all using the waters. We should all respect other people on the water. I, if I can, I like to try and get out the way of a yacht. If I see early enough out, sort of like on the eastern approaches of the, of, of the Solent, there's enough space there for me just to drop to starboard by five degrees and pass around the stern and, and things like that. A little bit of consideration uh, and understanding what the other person is trying to achieve goes a long way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And clearly Southampton VTS, we're always monitoring that when we're out and about. Do you get a sense that people do get onto that channel and do use their ears as well as their eyes? Well, I would, if I'm out on a, on, a, on a small boat, we always have Channel 12 on just to monitor. Because even if you're not interacting with them, you're building up a mental picture of what's going on. And I think that all yachts should, should be listening on that to build up that mental picture. When, when the big ships are calling up at the various reporting points, you can just mental trigger, oh yeah, he's at Dockhead now, he's going to be down off, off where I'm going to be in half an hour's time, I'll just keep an eye out for him. Yeah, yeah. As you say, building a, building a picture. So listen, I've got to ask you this question, and <laughs> you're probably going to have a whole story full, a whole bag full of answers for this one, but it might be useful, it might just be useful for one or two people uh, to get a sense of uh, some of your uh, hair-raising hair moments, or really and truly one or two things that you think, oh my goodness me, I can't believe they just did that. Because I think we can all learn from what has gone in the past, the odd error or two. It doesn't need to be over the top, but perhaps you can give me a, a sort of an insight into one or two things you see from up on the bridge. I think the most hair-raising one was when there was a load of cross-solent uh, swimmers right in my path as I'm coming up to do the, the West Bramble turn, and I had to stop the engine on a 350-metre container ship while these guys were in the water. Um, well, they were just ahead of me at one point, and their support boat was trying to get them out of the water. The patrol launch was also there trying to get them out of the water. We'd stopped the engine. We were drifting down, waiting to do the turn. I got a call from the patrol launch saying, yeah, there are, the, the people are, are safe now. Uh, you can go. So we cracked the engine on, went around the corner, got a phone later on from the patrol launch saying, yeah, when I told you they were safe, they were safe, but they weren't out of the water. And I said, what? He said they were holding on to their safety boat and he said the, the launch guy said he was he was as close as he would dare to get to our side and the safety boat was closer so they came very close to being mashed through a, a, a 10 meter propeller and that that was quite a chastening experience that thinking god did get a phone call back from the Southampton University who done the who were doing the swim with profuse apologies and saying that they'd got it wrong, they got their tides wrong. But uh, I think that's the closest I'd come to chewing somebody up. Goodness me, Mark. I mean, there's hairs on the back of my neck sticking up at this moment in time. I mean, they're by the grace of God, but for goodness sake. Exactly. Yeah, that was the worst. We had, had plenty of yachts going down the, down the side where you're looking down on the top of the deck of them as they've cut it a little bit too fine, but it, it's, it's safe. That, uh, nobody got hurt, no damage, but it was, you're looking down, just shaking your head at them, and normally you get them steadfastly looking ahead, ignoring you, going, hopefully he won't notice me, or you get people looking up going, oh God, I'm so sorry, putting their arms up. I, I think, final question from me today, and I, I, genuinely, I thank you so much for your time. 
who has ultimate responsibility for that ship when the pilot's on board, Mark? <laughs> that's a that's an interesting one. Who has who 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 has the con? Yeah. Um, yes. In UK waters, the pilot in a compulsory area has the conduct of the vessel, which means the old man, the captain, has handed over the driving of the ship to you. He is still in command of the vessel. If you. I, I, if you imagine that the captain is in overall command, but he's not always driving the ship when he's at sea, he's not always up on the bridge. He will hand over the, the, the conduct of the vessel to one of his deck officers, whoever's on watch. When they come to a, into a compulsory pilot's area, they hand over to us. We just become part of the bridge team. It is our, our thing. I mean, he, he, he can step in and say, no, I don't trust what you're doing at any time he wants. It doesn't happen... Well, it has happened in the past, but in God knows how many hundreds of years of pilotage, it's, it's, it's a rarity. And most of the time you know where you're going. Well, I've managed to get away <laughs> with making people believe that for 22 years. <laughs> Mark Oakley, thank you very much indeed for joining us for today's podcast. My pleasure. This is a podcast by the boating app Savvy Navi. I hope you've enjoyed hearing from our amazing guests and will join us for more soon. Now, if you've got any questions that you would like me to ask the crew of Phoenix or comments on the series generally, just let me know via the Savvy Navi website. Thanks for joining us. The Boating Life Podcast with Savvy Navi. Making marine navigation at sea easy.